Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, SCP fans. My name is Grigori Carpin, and this is Simply Creative People the show about SCP creatives, be they authors, artists, or off-site content creators like YouTube and TikTok. We're focused on bridging the gap between various fans and serving as an introduction to different concepts and stories on the wiki. So, many welcomes to all, and let's get started. Welcome to episode four. I'm Grigori Carpin, SCP author, and again, I'm joined by... Uh, uh, Harry Blank. I'm (laughs) I'm also an SCP author. I have been told. Like how you had to pause and, and wonder who you are. Yes, but now you've made a joke about the pause, so you can't remove it. Fuck no. It's too late now. I could cut it all out. It's fine. <laughs> for anyone who is just tuning in for the first time, this is SCP Simply Creative People, the podcast for SCP creatives and fans where we talk about uh, lore and the process of creating for the SCP wiki, but also just kind of articles that we want to bring to wider attentions. And we've been going through the groups of interests sort of one by one. But before we get into that, I thought, seeing as how we've got two authors here again, and last time we talked about how we did an article from the chaotic conception of ideas to writing articles and then publishing them, I thought this time we could talk about a bit about inspirations, like media that's had an impact on our work. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Right. I think that's well, a good idea. Let's pretend this is extemporaneous and it hasn't been decided ahead of time. <laughs> it's all good conversations. Let me just get up my notes about this conversation we've just decided to have. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Well, why don't you start? You have some media that you feel like has had like a impact on the sorts of things you like to create. I'm going to make the boring answer, um, which is what you get for asking me to start instead of you going first. And I think this is fairly obvious for anybody who reads more than one or two of the things that I've written. History is what appeals to me as a media concept. Things that have happened in the real world that are ridiculous. Things that are so strange that if you write an even stranger piece of fiction and nestle the history inside of them, it's difficult for the people reading to tell what you made up and what you didn't make up. History as a narrative appeals to me as a sort of media inspiration. Not necessarily historical fiction so much as working the details in there. And, and that's very apparent in pretty much everything I've done. But on a more media, traditional media note, The X-Files obviously is a, a, fa- a fairly big uh, um, pipeline into the SCP writing community just because it's dealing with the idea of people who know something that you don't. Um, about a a whole other world of absurd weirdness that's just below the surface and people trying to figure it out. And for those that are maybe a little bit younger than us, The X-Files was a pretty popular show on Fox uh, that talked, that had like FBI agents researching the weird. Yes, and it still holds up today largely because of the extremely entertaining performances by the leads, Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny, and the writing. And the beauty of the writing in The X-Files in the best episode episodes of the x-files is that there's a a patter there's um, a rapport between the actors they have intense chemistry and they are very funny 
and they're very amusing even when they're dealing with really dreadful awful stuff and it alternates between dread and humor and they even have fairly frequently in the x-files humor episodes which is if you watch star trek the next generation the humor episode is the part where you just want to die and you don't want to be there because they suck at it but the x-files could they were they weren't very funny. They were almost never intentionally funny on The Next Generation. But the X-Files humor episodes are some of the funniest stuff you could possibly imagine. And they were still imaginative and weird. And that appeals to me. So I try to work that in. Even if I'm writing something horrifying, there's usually some element of hilarious. Because I don't like to be bored. And not liking to be bored informs very nearly everything that I do. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was just talking to somebody else about, like, kind of advice on, on writing, and it was like, well, the first thing you need to, like, focus on is, like, are you interested in the idea? Who cares what how cool it sounds, or someone's yes. done it before? Do you Are you entertained by the concept? Would you want to read something about that? That's what you need to focus first. Yes, and you'll see this when somebody is, is, is failing to present an idea to somebody, is failing to go, like, here's an SCP that I, I want to write, and you listen to them, and it isn't good and it doesn't sound good it's usually not that there's something wrong with the person most people have a creative idea inside them the problem is usually they're trying to fit themselves yeah. into this whole universe they don't actually have an idea that appeals to them they're just going like well what do you people write you people write monsters well here's a monster that i came up with it's like, is, does that appeal to you <laughs> is that what you are interested in because if you're not interested in it unless you've done this a lot and you can do it on autopilot it's not going to be good. It has to be something you like, which is why we talk about inspirations, because it's it's the uh, the shortcut to getting your brain thinking creatively. Yeah, and I, you know, I want to say for all those people out there that like want to create or want to write or you know, in any form, really, you do not need to worry about being a god of originality. No, no. one is original, not really. What's original is how you treat a subject. You know, yes. all these stories have been done since, like, you know, ancient Sumeria. They've been done over and over again with differing, you know, costumes. But the thing that you need to think about every single time is what are you going to say about something? And if you don't have something to say, not even anything deep or anything, like you said, just something that you thought was funny, maybe a conversation at the core of an anomaly or an article or a movie, then you could maybe say, you know, have a point to a, to a story. But if you're just trying to be like, oh, well, I need to do this because I want to be a writer. Right. Well, <laughs> that's, that's your goal. Your, the cart is before the horse right there. Yeah, we, we've talked for decades now about there are no original stories left. There is no new story you can write. But what there is, is the electrochemical variety that is all of our brains. They are all unique. And that means everybody has the unique ability to tell a different variation on a story if they want to tell it and if they put the effort in. So don't focus on the fact that everything has already been written, ever. Focus on the fact that you are uniquely capable of telling at least some stories and find out what they yeah. are. And then afterwards, you know, then you worry about how cool something sounds. Because right. the way that you make something work is you get this piece onto the page or however, you know, the film or the footage or whatever. Though almost everything of worth, I think, starts with writing. Yeah. But it's in the refinement process, right? You can decide, you can look at things, you can have other people look at things and go, okay, you know, this doesn't actually work, and here's maybe why it doesn't work. And this happens to me all the time. This happens to you. We have dozens and dozens of things we have written, some of which are very popular. 
and you know we still have like sexual i'll come to you all the time be like does this even work yeah Yeah, i mean that's the thing is you can polish glass until it shines but you can't really polish a turd so if you start with an idea that isn't good you can get it to mediocre through dint of incredible effort but if you start with an idea that is great and you execute it acceptably and then you work on it you can make it really shine and that's what's that's what's important it isn't necessarily that you have the most original idea it's that you have an idea that appeals to you that has something interesting that you have something to say about and again that's why we talk about what inspires us it's to it's to help you to find the idea that is intriguing enough to you to get those wheels turning so you put that effort in right because the difference between a great idea and a bad idea is almost always the passion you have for it there are I think there probably are exceptions to that. There probably are some people out there that are passionate about idea that's just very tropey. But oh, yeah. for the most part, almost everything, almost every time I run into people when I was doing crit all the time, where they had an idea that was they were passionate about, like, you know what, this is this is gonna work. We're gonna make it work. It's gonna be fine. That's right. When you can sense that the other person actually cares about it, you can sense that in the writing. It will improve the writing when you care. Something I wanted to say about you talking about folding your stories into history, uh, to go back for a second, is really funny because that really plays off some of the tropes of like SCP real, mm-hmm. like because a lot of your articles do a really good job of folding in like very mundane history, like it's not about wars all the time or, or horrible events. They do a really good job of making you kind of stop and go like, oh, this like this could happen if you know magic was real or something. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's called verisimilitude. It's the idea mm-hmm. that if you make it feel a little more real by peppering in reality, actual reality, the surreal elements will still feel grounded by something. And um, history and politics are a good way to do that because history and politics are interesting if you find the interesting parts that aren't just the names and the dates and the battles. If you find the actual nitty-gritty, there's human beings in history doing human being stuff, and human beings are weird. <laughs> Very weird. So, I guess it's my turn now. I guess it's your turn now. Well, it's something we talked about before, and I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. You know, and I could try to talk about something that's inspired all my stuff, but honestly, I have like a couple of different veins for creativity. I have the very serious gothic horror, you know, uh, intrigue type stories. I've got the surreal stories, and then I have the comedic, you know, unsettling stuff. And we could go through all the stuff that I've watched that's a horror movie that, like, inspired serious stuff, but I don't think that's as interesting conversation as talking about what kind of inspired victim or mm. Blackhander need. You know, we talked about it last time that we were both Twin Peak fans, and I think it's completely ridiculous to assume if anyone has ever looked at one of my victim articles, like, I would say that you probably can tell that I am a fan of <laughs> Lynch. But I think... A stronger influence on victim without me actually realizing it until maybe a few months ago that somebody pointed it out alan resnick uh who is you know has for a long for years now has been a part of wham city and has also done a lot of solo projects where you know and a lot of it's on adult swim and almost everything that he's done has this brilliant balance of being both unsettling and upsetting but also very uncomfortably funny (laughs) (laughs) and it's almost never edgy like it's not uncomfortable because he's saying something racist or or gross not really like it's almost always uncomfortable like you're just like what is what is this about and i 
right? There's, there's an edge where you're waiting for it to suddenly become yeah, horrible, right? And it generally doesn't. Right, but it always but has. It still, that always feels like it's right, about and to. It's the brilliance of like you're constantly tense, and so every time he makes a joke, and it's not even like jokes with punchlines, but every time he there's a line that something's funny, like it's like a relief to laugh out loud. And I didn't realize <laughs> how strong of an influence he has had on me. And, you know, I say it's Alan Resnick, but obviously he's not the only one behind these projects, but he's kind of the one of the main creative voices that we know about. Um, and a couple yeah. of examples of this for people to go and look up are is a video called May I Please Enter? Yes. Um, which is about a man who just go. It's it's like a fake PBS show where somebody is going around kind of like California's Gold or I don't know if some other examples, local examples, where somebody is going to just talk to locals about something cool. And but this person is only interested in people's houses. And so he, it's, there's only one episode, but it, you could totally believe that it's a whole series. And it's this guy who's just going to knock on someone's house and say, "Hey, can I come in?" And then get a weird, very weird tour of their house and this one's probably less horrific but he does this wonderful thing throughout this episode where he can't seem to get comfortable or move <laughs> like a human being he, he he tries to get up from a couch at one point or adjust himself on a couch and it is just the strangest thing to watch it's maybe 15 seconds and watching him try to sit on a couch which we've all done and all know how to do it's like this individual has never before sat <laughs> yeah and he's it's, and it's, that, it's an ability hilarious. to it's a, it's alienate mundanity to take something that's right to be to take really something that seems alien. normal that everybody should be able to do and be <laughs> weird about it and a lot of the other ones that he's done have gone a little bit further into yeah. the horror stuff. Um, for example, unedited footage of a bear, which starts off as sort of like, you know, uh, something that got thrown on the cutting room floor of a nature documentary and very quickly becomes something else. Until you start wondering what it is you're watching. Like, and I don't even want to give it away. It's maybe 10 minutes. Everyone should go watch yeah. it. And then probably my two favorites of his, which perfectly exemplify the tone that I go for with Victim, are uh, Children of the Mirror, which is a small series, but there's only like three or four episodes and they're very short, which is about a cult. And this is their internal like indoctrinization um, right. videos. And Visitor Information, which is about... <laughs> Which is about a homeless man who lives in a garage park uh, and is showing around a, a camera crew around his home, which is this place where people park their yeah. cars. It sounds so boring, and it is genuinely the escalating, upsetting. the escalating also very funny. threat and and unpleasantness of it is just like, oh god! <laughs> at multiple times, he just looks at the camera and goes, "Please help me." Please help me. I need your help. I, I I I could use some medical attention. And it's just it's it's so sad, but it's also so funny that you just don't know how you're supposed to feel. And if I'm honest with myself, I didn't realize it. Genuinely, I didn't realize it. That's what almost every article of victim I am trying to go for. I'm trying to make the reader unsure of what sort of yes. story this is. And then to a lesser degree, I think um don't hug oh, me, I'm scared. But uh, which is wonderful. Which I, I think I showed you. You did. I was talking to somebody else, Azamo. I was talking to Zamo, who's another author, 
recently about how internet horror, especially on YouTube, is really at its in the fucking renaissance. Like, there's just so many interesting, bizarre things. Yes. And Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is, and I'm sure everyone's seen it, but if you haven't, I don't want to say too much about it. It's essentially a children's show. Those places. Yeah, and it's not usually, it's not dressed in the trappings of a horror movie at all, right. and yet it is existentially upsetting. <laughs> yes, there's a whole series of videos, but the whole thing takes maybe an hour to watch from start to finish. Yeah, and ugh, I just cannot, I cannot recommend it enough. And so these They're are the things great. I think that, you know, if anyone's familiar with Victim and then they watch any of these, I think they'll be like, oh, I, I kind of get it. Right. Only I make them very political. <laughs> yes, well, uh, that's the way to be. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna be interesting and funny and scary and weird and you're going to get somebody's attention, there's no harm in sneaking a little bit of uh, actual real-world value into that at the same time. Keep the, the politics out of my SCP, though. <laughs> Keep the politics out of it. I don't like thinking about the real world. Just make it make it spooky. Yeah, we, we want escapism. And it needs <laughs> to be body horror, and it needs to be terrifying, and it needs to give you heart palpitations but Lord forbid it allow you to think about something. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm not going to get on a fucking soapbox right now, but honestly, anyone and everyone who thinks that any piece of art has no politics or is apolitical are, are completely crazy. Like, there is... Even Star Wars is political. It's so anti-fascist, it's not even funny. <laughs> like, yeah. everything that is worth your time that is not just a soulless cynical Hollywood production and even those are informed by person's politics absolutely speaking of politics we have a great interesting conversation today yes we do so we were talking uh, you know and I, at first I was saying we should do fifthism somebody very smart <laughs> uh, lizard wizard suggested that I was being very dumb because I shouldn't do fifthism on the fourth episode which is 100 percent correct of course why didn't we think of that That's i don't know we're both pretty smart and educated people and yet mm, i don't know but so instead i thought we'd talk about both of both of our if not the favorite thing on the wiki then one of the top you know what i, I mean anytime i want anyone to read the scp wiki i just start linking them to this stuff and that yeah. is I always say Corbinic, but really it's the GOI is the Third Moon Initiative. The Three Moons Initiative. Right. Oh, right. I always say Third Moon. That's right. You're, you're all, you just got the jitters. You're excited. Yeah, I am. So, I fuck. You know, when we were talking about it and you were like, oh, I'm just going to reread all of them. And I, I did too. <laughs> I, like, did. I didn't literally read everything on the hub, but I read like 20 articles over the last couple of days. This, this stuff is, is it's, easily it's, the premium content. This is the best stuff. It's so good. It's so fucking good. Uh, and weird. And, and weird in a way that I really appreciate because it is, I think, the way to sum up Corbinic or the Three Moons Initiative is kind of on one hand very funny, and on the other hand, some of the bleakest shit I have ever read. And it, it, and it never fails to be both. It is amazingly funny. It is amazingly bleak. And there's a third element to it, which is off the wall, completely, absolutely bonkers. And I, I don't mean <laughs> yeah. that in, in the irritating internet mad lad garbage. I mean that Corbinic stuff is truly crazy. And I love the fact that it's crazy. That's what makes it horrifying. That's what makes it funny. In addition right. to the fact that the main author who writes Corbinic, Dave right. Ufool, is really funny. Just 
He's very intentionally inten- intentionally funny, naturally funny, yeah. convolutedly funny, just yeah, incredibly funny. I've talked to him a couple times in DMs, and he's just he's that funny in conversation. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> like I mean, it's not a performance. You know, he's a person, but. He is really genuinely funny. Like, if you follow him on Twitter, like, almost everything he sends out is so funny. Like, I can't... He reminds me of Chris Straub sometimes. Like, right. in, 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 in the way that he uses social media, not his, his products or, or, you know, his creative stuff is different. That's a good one for inspiration as well, actually, Chris Straub. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, everything that man has done. So yes. good. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, almost everything we talk about today... I think is done by Dave Fool, and I think we read mostly Dave Fool ones. There are additional articles by other authors in Corbinic, yeah. and we'll encourage you to read those as well. But Dave Fool wrote the vast majority of them, and everything yeah. that sets up the overall arc and stuff. You know, if you were to read them sort of from the beginning, uh, I think it starts off in a very bleak way, and then it transforms into something funny. But instead of just diving into it, we thought. Harry, you're going to essentially present a short article. Yes. So are we turning it over to me for my yes. tender affections here? All right. <laughs> Your tender affections for it. We are going to, apropos of nothing, talk about SCP-4578. And the reason I've picked this one to start with is because it's short, it's incredibly bizarre, and I think it gives you a sense of the weirdness without it having to take a long, long time. Now, we've got a lot of wonderful YouTube channels out there, people who will read verbatim an SCP. We're not going to do that because Conprox, unless you've got a lot of really good voice actors and um, a voice that doesn't sound like a robot robot pretending to be human, which is the voice that I have, the Conprox, the uh, special containment procedures get really boring. Davey Fools actually don't. He's great at pretty much everything he does. But I'm not going to read verbatim the whole SCP. I'm just going to read verbatim the parts that are amazing. And the parts that are merely terrific, I will paraphrase. (laughs) So SCP-4578 is a 35-year-old man of West African descent named Gerard Sebastian Nyang. And the Conprox tell you, you can't give this guy orders unless you are really nice to him and you use sign language, you may not be hostile, physical or otherwise, to him under any circumstances, and he is not to get anywhere near Site-59's on-site nuclear warhead or even to know it exists. We are then told, due to the noise produced by SCP-45781 events, SCP-5... Niang is completely deaf. I'm going to stop reading the SCP number because it's so tedious to hear them over and over again. He's deaf because of the noise produced by the events associated with him to make the uh, the audience go what are these events he is believed to be our reality's multiversal iteration of the leader of the three moons initiative who is also named gerard sebastian yang so the context here the only context you need is the three moons initiative is an interdimensional authority outside the foundation's purview who are very strange so, we find out, and I'll now be reading um, verbatim because now it gets incredible. When another living thing attempts to take hostile action against Niang, he transforms into a small pocket-dimensional gateway that deploys SCP-45782, a heavy-caliber machine gun turret mounted on a robotic arm. The deployment process takes approximately 0.04 seconds from reaction to firing. 
Upon successful neutralization of the threat, SCP-4578-2 will retract into its pocket dimension. Its destructive capabilities are not yet entirely understood, save for the following information gleaned from testing. It can fire up to 4,000 armor-piercing rounds per minute. Projectiles are 2 centimeters in diameter and made of an indestructible crystalline substance of, unlike, of likely extra-dimensional origin. I'm too excited. Projectiles have a... Here's where it gets really good. Projectiles have a flesh-loosening effect on contact with organic tissue. That is, bonds between cells will immediately separate, resulting in victims appearing to fall apart. Because it's not enough that it shoots 4,000 rounds. <laughs> the barrel of the gun is engraved with three crescent moons, and then some, uh, some boilerplate, and then... Something in Spanish I will not attempt to pronounce. And then, warning, tampering with this device is a Class M damnable felony and will result in expedited oblietification. Glory to Yalakara. <laughs> the article goes on. So just, just, to, just to make sure we understand, if you threaten him, a magic machine gun comes out of a black hole in front of him and kills you. Okay? <laughs> Despite this... He abhors violence. <laughs> He's a pacifist. And manifestations of this have resulted in severe psychological trauma. Now we know why he's deaf. He's deaf because a magic machine gun pops out of him to kill people. Right in front of him. So, like, right. he's literally, his eardrums have been damaged to the point where he's deaf because of this thing. Yes. I'm actually kind of worried about where he ends up because it actually says he transforms into the pocket dimension. Like, oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's... That's horrifying. Okay, anyway. Um, anyway, he turns himself into the police because he's a pacifist and he's horrified at the fact that he's machine gunning everybody who threatens him. And at this point in the overall arc of the Corbinix stuff, the Foundation has some sort of diplomatic relations with them in the sense that there is a giant horseshoe crab floating in space that they can send emails to because this is where we're at with Corbinix. We'll explain anyway, that later. And anyway, yeah, um, Dr. Namath, who's a doctor who's associated with a lot of these files, emails the horseshoe crab, and the horseshoe crab responds, explaining what's going on. Three Moons Initiative apologizes. It appears that due to jurisdictional oversight and DNA similarities, this fellow shares some of the Eternal President's Secret Service protections. This weapon is designed to permanently incapacitate immortals, and its presence in Iteration 2L that's our Earth, is offensive and inappropriate. Three Moons Initiative will have this problem completely addressed within the hour. So he is the same person as their president is from another dimension, so he accidentally has their president's defense mechanism applied to him. And here's the solution that the Three Moons Initiative has to address the problem completely. Within an hour. Within an hour. One hour after the reply was received, Site-59 was damaged by a football-sized meteorite. Inspection of the meteorite revealed that it was a parcel addressed to Niang containing an index card reading COMPENSATION and one kilogram of diamonds. His anomalous qualities remain unchanged. They gave him a kilo of diamonds, though, so it's been fixed. Now... The best part about this article and all of them is the weird lack of respect for the sanctity of human life that uh, that Three Moons Initiative has. 
Yeah. But it's not just for comedy's sake. It's like makes sense in in the context. (laughs) But so let's go into some of the general information about. All right. Here's the signal that we're doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Three Moons Initiative is in a place called Corbinic. What is Corbinic? Well, it's literally the afterlife. But it's not the afterlife that we've learned about. It's a planet of mystical weirdness around which three moons orbit. And we'll get to those three moons in a second. Yes. What are these three moons? Actually, they're alternate Earths. When you die, you wake up on Corbinic, naked, and you are no longer mortal. You can't die, but you can get hurt and experience discomfort slash pain. Which <laughs> and you will. <laughs> which you will, because it's a really violent place. And not because of the three moons initiative in in a lot of ways their levels of violence are in response to how dangerous the afterlife really is right only if you were to go through something truly horrendously violent and survive it no matter what imagine how insane almost everyone it must be if they've gone through some of these traumatic events which we'll talk about right some of these people have been eaten and regurgitated (laughs) there are multiple different things people entities that have eaten and regurgitated people and those people have then gone on to continue what they were doing um somewhat affected by the circumstances yes somewhat including one uh hilarious one we'll get to later which is a very famous person in our reality that turns into like a homicidal (laughs) like maniac yes indeed. Uh, so the Three Moons Initiative are, according to the Hub, an afterlife humanity defense corps. They consider themselves responsible for the safety of the human race, both within the afterlife and outside of the afterlife. They have a lot of advanced technology, which allows them to send unmanned drones, although oftentimes they're controlled by people in their dimension. Because yes. you can't, no organic matter can leave Corbinic, but they right. can send like robotic drones. As Harry just read, they refer to us as Multiversal Iteration 2N, I think. And uh, is it no or L? Anyway, I the think point it's is, two, I believe it's 2L. Okay, either way. The point is, is that there are a lot of iterations of Earth out there. In fact, that is actually what the Three Moons are. They are alternate Earths that went through some horrible event and got transported to the afterlife. Yes. Um, On the Hub, they have this hilarious quote, which is, As such, they monitor Earth and carry out covert, and that should be in quotes, because nothing they do is covert. (laughs) Not remotely. Covert military intervention for its defense, according to them, often regardless of nuance or long-term consequences. (laughs) So, imagine an organization that is a billion times more powerful than anything on our Earth, including the Foundation, like so, so much more powerful than anything else. But they don't really consider whether or not something is appropriate for context or whether or not they will have effects on society. They're just interested in the immediate results. Yes, their goal is to prevent us from becoming their fourth moon. Everything else else beyond that is deeply questionable. (laughs) And also, like, they have... Some of the articles present them as being very ethical in terms of... Not their practices, but their intentions. Like, their intention is to protect human life, even on a conceptual level. 
But then at the same time, the way that they go about doing that is horribly violent. <laughs> yes, yes, and brilliantly horribly violent. <laughs> so while the initiative personnel believe that they're operating humankind's best interests, just like we said, military overreach, poor communication, issues with internal bureaucracy, and other factors, combined with their dis- disproportionately high military strength to our own, have made them a potential liability to public safety in our dimension. And that is the most understated thing, I think, imaginable about the three moons because they are a giant liability yeah the the beauty of it is even if you were to describe it totally fairly instead of using the weasel words you still need to see the context to truly understand the the absurd ham-fistedness with which they pursue their goals (laughs) it's it's truly a thing that you have to see and it is so ham-fisted and the best part is is that they're so ham-fisted and they are the butt of the jokes but they are also capable of like violently destroying the, i mean to send compensation they sent the meteorite that's right the, the foundation is is completely incapable of stopping them from doing pretty much anything right. they want to do that's the thing is they're they're nominally allied with earth and that's why they don't completely annihilate us although they didn't start that way which we could talk about in a bit yes indeed uh so let's talk a little bit about Corbinic before we get into the articles because a lot of the really crazy stuff about the afterlife is not super addressed in a lot of the articles the main one it, it is but <laughs> Um, obviously, but uh, I think just to get some core concepts about, we're not going to just go through like all the crazy entities that are there. But no, because there's a lot of them. One of the words you mentioned in reading that article was Yalakara, uh, and I—is that how you pronounce it, or is it? Jalakara? I actually looked it up. I know okay. it's a word in Sanskrit, but I yeah. was completely it utterly defeated me finding a way to pronounce it so i just okay. went with yalakar but there's an incredibly cool looking accent on one of those a's so oh, we're probably yeah. wrong uh it's like a loop yeah i, I don't need is that i wouldn't even know where to find that in the unicode to be honest yeah right it's yalakara of the impenetrable and <laughs> yalakara <laughs> this is one of my favorite things is a gigantic spider with a bearded man's face <laughs> and he is the patron deity of the initiative. So he is their god. I have an excellent quote about this, actually. I'll okay. be damned if I remember what article it's from, but it's a Dave You Fool article. And they Go say, When we came to the afterlife, there was no heaven and hell, so we built them. There were no angels, so we trained them. There was no god, so we hired one. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, some of the articles go into it a bit about Yalakar and why he is so interested in humanity. But essentially, humanity was on the brutal end of some horrible hostilities from one of, some of the natives of Korbanik that Yalakar has always hated. And Yalakar, yes. what's really interesting, is like not on Korbanik and is not in the third editions. He lives like light years away in this universe but has, like, direct observation of Corbinic and the Three Moons. The um, scope of the weirdness is always just incredible. <laughs> He's in a giant spider web, light years away, that is, like, the size of... I forget they described it, but it's, still like, it's like a cosmic, like... It's like a, you know, uh, so a stellar body. Like, it's the size of a planet. Right. Uh, only, you know, he's never even there. So he just psychically and reality bendery, godlike powers communicates with all of them because of the original events of uh, 
their establishment there, which we'll call right. And he's um, part of one lar- a larger pantheon of, of equally right, bizarre yes. um, cosmic monsters that pop up occasionally, usually as 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 fluff or as the uh, as the uh, subject of a particular article. And it, it it verges from cosmic horror to cosmic humor with whiplash speed, and it's truly sometimes at the same time, very frequently. Like the Witch Queen of Borgai Mountain, which we'll talk about in a second, is both. It's it's utterly both. Like, it's just yep. ridiculous. So he's the patron deity of the initiative. He supplies energy and resources to the initiative in exchange for their worship, servitude, and this is the best part, having final word in all administrative matters. <laughs> so he's They're, a god who's actually interested in the running of society. Corbinick and Davy Fool are also fantastically good at the trope called arson, murder, and jaywalking. Where the third thing in the list completely does not does not suit the list as you understood it until you got there. Just imagine the original conversation of you know the the sur- leaders of surviving humanity who find themselves in a weird reality or trying to figure out how they're going to survive these monsters that are attacking them all the time, and a god comes to them and says, "I can give you power and guidance, and all I need from you is your worship." your attention, your servitude, and also, I would like a veto on any laws. <laughs> I'm going to give you powers. I'm going to help you fight your enemies. I want to be involved in your paperwork. Listen, the bureaucracy, I I need to be... I have the final vote. <laughs> <laughs> Yahweh has come down and has said, listen, I really don't understand the way that you guys are handling these things. I'm going to stay out of it most of the time, but if I don't like something, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> See, now that does sound like Yahweh. Wouldn't he be interested in that kind of thing? And, when and the, the fuck the did he ever do that? I read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> He's mostly hands-off. It's humanity's got to figure their shit out for themselves. Yeah, it's he his worshippers that are usually... helps themselves. The worshippers are usually into the legalistic arguing with God, whereas God is usually not that interested in it, right? <laughs> yes, my people are known for uh, negotiating with their deity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you go back and read some of the like early Jewish texts about conversations with angels and gods, um, it's way different than the New Testament because oftentimes the wise man or whoever is like, really? Because here's what I think. So there's a central cabal, which is the human ruling council, who have a portion of Yalakar's reality-bending powers. And the only person we know that's on the cabal uh, is a former foundation researcher who defected to the initiative uh, and has one of the seats. So essentially this is like the Senate or a board of directors for all of humanity within the afterlife. And their understanding of the foundation is quite colored by who that foundation person right. is. <laughs> yes. Which we uh, get from the original Corbinic article, which we'll right. talk about. It wasn't the original, because I feel like the first one Accord- I have on the list... It feels like it almost was written. I actually had, uh, I sorted the uh, Corbinic posts by date. And, oh, did yeah. you? Okay. Janet, Janet's article is the first. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that answers that question. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we also have Eternal President Gerard Sebastian Yang. But Eternal is only honorific. He has an upcoming mm-hmm. election in the year 3930. <laughs> and so be, be ready for the vote. And he has been a president for 14,000 years <laughs> already and it's only gone mostly badly yeah mo- very badly he's effectively a dictator uh, and is very criticized by uh, 
because this is humanity, this is not just a magical afterlife. They have lives and roles and jobs, and there is media, and the media is very unhappy with him in general. And to make up for that, President Niang has gone through humiliation cycles, where we don't know the details of them, but essentially what happens is he goes through horrible physical and psychological trauma at the hands of Yalakara to, to teach him humility. And this makes sense because he's described in one of Dave Yufu's tales with the following words. He's wearing a blue and gold uniform covered in medals. He's a French Senegalese man with a Hercule Poirot mustache and all the violent self-confidence to not think it was tacky. <laughs> and, you know, he has sort of earned this confidence in some ways because he used to be, back when they, he was part of a normal existence, on an alternate universe, he was part of the Foundation, or the equivalent of the Foundation, they call it something slightly different, uh, and he used to be the director of Site-19, like, so he was Till the Moose. He's a big deal. And during an XK class scenario, end of the world sort of situation, he broke protocol, and there's a tale about it, but I don't remember what it talks about. And basically, he used an anomaly to teleport Earth away from the horrible anomaly. Yes, the tale's called Radical Acceptance, right. and the idea is that everybody has just gotten used to the idea that the world's about to end, and they're fine with it, but he's not fine. <laughs> he finds an old GOC device that could actually be used to chuck Earth out into space, and he's like, everybody else is so ready to be done with this that they don't care. Fuck it, I'm pushing the button. <laughs> Which should inform you as to what sort of leadership decisions he, he is capable of. Yes, he doesn't improve significantly. For, well, he oh, does, but, but, but <laughs> yeah, over 14,000 years, yeah, he gets... An um, absolute, almost absolute power. Yes. He's the only other person, other than the Cabal, who has regular interactions with Yalakara. And although it's not clear that he has any Yalakara's, like, actual powers, he has so much authority because this military is so advanced and so capable of violence that he just does whatever he wants just imagine an american president times a thousand like he's right, just right you know what they are terrible let's nuke that whole planet <laughs> um <laughs> so he teleports earth away from you know its place in the solar system and it doesn't go very well because essentially <laughs> what happens is and at first it's not clear and they talk about this with one of the other earths but it seems like they just teleported the Earth, and they did, but they teleported it not to another place in our universe, but in this alternate universe, and which is the afterlife. So effectively, he killed everyone. Yeah, teleported them right into Korobinik, which is an afterlife. So, oops. So, you are the worst mass murderer in history. And that's, just made, and that's step one. You've just made Earth a moon of a combination of heaven and hell. Good job. You know, maybe didn't know about people before that it's kind of hard to say whether or not people existed if this was the afterlife before this planet uh happened that's unclear but it's implied that there are multiple afterlives and there's a certain way of making sure this is the one that you go to in the first article but i think that just sort of gets brushed off later on because it's more interesting to talk about the afterlife itself right. either way the point is from now on from the moment they jumped in there this is now humanity's afterlife so right. even if there was a different plan before, that's out the that's out the window. So he teleports this planet, 
our, our Earth over, you know, in orbit around Corbinic, which is a planet itself. Only it's a much bigger planet because they consider Earth to be just a moon. Yep. And immediately these striders invade because these things like eating people. And so they just kill like millions of people. And over like 20 years... And I would love to get some stories about this, but I don't think it's ever really been dealt with too much. There was something called this, the Harvesting War. And this is the first Harvesting War to tell you that it's happened more than once. In 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 the process of that, Niang kind of gathers the surviving human uh, governments and militaries and all of the foundation's might that has survived uh, and, and creates a rebellion and is able to fight off. Uh, the Striders, with the help of Yalakara. And so because of that, he's made president for, you know, eternal. I mean, you know, I don't know why 17,000 years is his <laughs> is his election time, but whatever. He He's he's there, and that's what he's doing. Yes, and the, the beauty of it is they still, even though they were being um, stomped on and smacked into walls and stepped on by giant ape monsters, they still had access to all of the technology of their Earth right. all of those thousands of years ago. So the hyper-technologically-advanced hyper Three Moons Initiative is just us in the far future, essentially. Right, because they don't die, and they've just been able to continue advancing their technology. And if they are able to use all the might of, let's say, the GOC and the Foundation and all the weird anomalies that they could possibly weaponize, you could imagine they would be very effective. Yes. Um, so let's, let's talk about some articles. Uh Let's talk about that first one. Let's talk about Corbinic. So you, you want to set us up? Yeah, so uh, that's off memory here. 2922? Yes. Corbinic, which is pseudo-attached to a tail-slash-hub called Operation Galahad. Right. The, the idea behind 2922, the actual mechanics of the anomaly are kind of secondary to what goes on. But they're so it, good, though. Davey Fool is crazy, so the beauty of the beauty of, of, of this one is that what sounds like an already crazy idea is used as a backdoor into a much crazier idea. And then just throw it away. Not throw it away, but like never really talked about again. Like the setup of the anomaly is already the basis of a brilliant article, probably. Why don't you tell them how it's set up and I'll tell them how it okay. ends. Yeah, that's all right. That sounds good. Okay. You sound so, excited already. And I'm yes, glad. I really like the anomaly. It's so fucking dumb. So <laughs> the idea is there's a, a, a you know, paratechnical company that has made this essentially a augmentation to the brain that will allow uh, you to make telephone calls. Essentially, think of anything like cyberpunk where someone could make a call from, you know, a bio augmentation right so they decide to test it on janet spiegel who's a researcher so first of all let's just talk about the fact that she quote-unquote volunteered to have something put in her brain (laughs) which is pretty nuts but she does so and it works it is essentially able to call although weirdly they only set it up to call one number which is a number that is in the lab unfortunately Either the same day or the next day, I can't really remember. But shortly after the success of the surgery, she dies in a horrible car accident. Then she starts calling. <laughs> That's where it gets really weird because the setup was already its own complete SCP because idea. Apparently, this microchip works across dimensions, which right. already they didn't know. And second of all, it also works calling from the afterlife. That's right. So Jan- now the foundation has eyes on the ground essentially in quote unquote heaven slash hell all of the above Corbinic yeah. 
Only yeah. she doesn't know that at first. And she shows up naked, buried in sand, wakes up, and starts to experience what it is to, you know, exist on Corbinic and all the dangers and the striders and everything else. And she sees, it's not just her, she sees other people emerging from the sand. So that already tells you that anyone that dies on Earth shows up there. Yeah, she describes it. And this is the first time the Foundation has encountered this at all. This is, they just found out this existed because their crazy brain phone works after death, which they also just found out. <laughs> right. And the very first thing we hear about it is a doctor asks her on the crazy brain phone, what does the sky look like? And she says, dark, very dark, sea green sky, black clouds, no stars. But it doesn't look like it's nighttime. I don't even know if this place has daytime and nighttime. There's a couple moons, I guess? Three white ones and no sun. So green sky, black clouds, no stars, desert. And she's just stuck there now with no clothes. Right, and so she starts... Well, first of all, she... I mean, I think almost immediately she sees uh, one of these striders who are like meters and meters and meters tall. So tall that they can crush people with one foot. As it does, it immediately pastes her. (laughs) Right. And then she wakes up. (laughs) Because you can't die on Corbinic. And worse, you heal from everything. And maybe that's not worse. But the point is, is that you can go through some really heinous shit and then come out the other side. Right. And that leads to a foundation protocol that comes up later where anybody who goes into Korobinik, the rule is don't offend anybody, even if they attack you, because just being pasted is not the worst thing that can happen. (laughs) So people in Korobinik, especially the Striders, have a tendency to um, treat killing each other with less respect than it usually is, is treated on Earth. Which should already inform you why the Three Moon Initiatives treats human life the way it does. If they care so much about protecting humanity, why are they so willing to kill people about it? Well, who cares? They're just going to show up here anyway. Right. They don't want us all ending up there, but a few of them, big deal. (laughs) You know, lesser evil, whatever. And every once in a while when they have a chance and they see somebody on Earth that they'd actually like to be in Corbenic, (laughs) they just kill them. Right. Uh, Like, several times they talk about uh, somebody asking to like talk to a superior I think it happens in the Jim Henson article and he's like alright and then they blow up and kills the doctor and so it's like well now you're there so let's talk about it Yeah, he, go, he, he says something like why don't I give you a tour of the place yes, that's they, right. they, he offers him a job and the doctor refuses and he goes well why don't I give you a tour and, and blows, the, blows the <laughs> and so now he's dead he's there anyway welcome to Corbin so Janet she, at first this is a fairly standard exploration log because she's in some crazy new place like we've seen a dozen times in other articles hundreds of times and she's calling in to give updates but pretty soon i think within the second or third update that she calls in she's like listen i understand i'm dead now i really want to talk to my husband yeah it's really important her husband is not aware of the veil he is you know uh, not he does not work for the foundation. He's a doctor and he's a civilian. So the foundation goes, no, <laughs> we're not going to let you talk to your doctor because that'll risk containment. Right. And she starts getting more and more upset about this, uh, reasonably so, and decides, well, fuck you, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. She still calls occasionally and gives updates, and that's how we get some of the details about Corbinic, like for example, kangaroos that pull fire out of their pouches. Um, the Strider's Queen, which is uh, the Witch Queen of 
Mount Borgel. Bogle. Uh, Bogle. Bogle, Bogle Mount Borgel? I believe it's Bogle Mountain. I'm pretty sure well, it's either Bogle. way. Just the idea that she's a witch queen is fucking amazing. And she eats uh, people. She does. She likes eating people. So the Striders like to kill people, pick them up. You know, they're not dead, but whatever. Uh, and then bring them to the witch queen to eat. And she eats them and then digests them. And you said regurgitation before, but it's implied that's not what's happening. They yes, have it's... to survive <laughs> through being digested and then shit out. I'm not sure why it came out that way, why I self-censored. Well, I'm sure it's, it's, it's probably some... defecation as opposed to regurgitation. And I, I think they're not always dead, usually, when she eats them either, because it's described right. as being traumatic. I wonder if it would be more traumatic for somebody to eat you, and then you die, and then you wake up having been defecated, or if you're well, dead, and think... then you regenerate alive inside someone's intestinal tract. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> And then, like, I think in the original article it says, or somebody tells Janet, that it takes, like, a hundred years to be digested by her <laughs> or something like that. So, uh, Fun. you know, spoilers for later with the Jim Henson article, because we'll talk about that one. And that happened to him, and uh, you can understand why that maybe didn't make him the most pleasant person afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, she eventually, you know, we're, it's unclear how but she eventually makes contact with Jalakarta and uh, and the three moves initiative uh and the foundation decides to respond and that is operation galahad here you take over yeah so the way the foundation responds to her defection first of all is to go all right we're going to go capture your husband because he matters so much to you and anyway and whether they did it intentionally or not i don't recall but he ends up dead but she called him on the phone <laughs> beforehand and explained to him how to end up in Corbinic. And so he ends up in Corbinic. Um, but she's really pissed off at the Foundation at this point because they uh, lied to her, they wouldn't let her talk to her husband, they're responsible for the death of her husband, yada, yada, yada. But in the meantime, the Foundation wants to know more about Corbinic. Here's where they do the most Foundation possible approach to finding out about an afterlife. Um, I almost think it might be nice for somebody to stumble on Operation Galahad before they've read the preceding article, because it, <laughs> it hides something that's already been explained. Because Operation Galahad explains that you are being put into a coma to be sent into this weird alternate dimension called Corbinic, and they hire um, their best MTF people, uh, people whose bodies are strong, because you can't bring anything with you, and they're going to be sent to Corbinic to explore. Um, the Operation Galahad page is full of their mission um, mission descriptions as they, they see all the weird monsters and they go through all the bizarre locations and gradually get loopier and loopier as they call on their magic brain phones back home. Uh, but they don't know what's actually happened because they're told that they're undergoing Procedure 42 Humbaba, which puts them into a coma, which will allow them to enter Corbinic. But of course... They're actually being murdered by the Foundation and sent to Corbin. They don't know that. They're being sent there um, to explore under the expectation that they will be returned home, that there's an extraction plan. And of course, there isn't. Um, a couple of times, there's even like an implication that like one of the agents is like unclear how they're going to get back. And then yeah. the Foundation, eh, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they kind of uh, avoid talking about that. <laughs> like, let's just focus on the mission, okay? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Exactly. That's that's and how they do it every time. I I think the 
one of the most interesting comparisons to Operation Galahad, and I don't want to go into like all the details of it because I think no. those are some of the wildest stories about this. Yes, like Janet's absolutely. thing is really cool, but then watching the MTF, like you, you you sign up for MTF Exploration Log of Hell, and it's it's not the thing, but it reminds me so much of the metaphysician article where he established Alagada. Mm, yeah, or he didn't establish it, but he like fleshed it out. Um, and sending in the MTF into that. Only those people sort of make it up. I guess they don't. But, you know, like, where it is this, like, maddening, like, there's an orgy and there's, like, crazy, like, monsters and everything else. And yet, the tone is so different because, as you said, it gets loopier and loopier and it's just funnier and funnier, even though a lot of the subject matter is, like, really dark. Like, this orgy is like your brain is being taken over by this god who like is unsure why he's creating this orgy around him <laughs> and it involves violence and death and being right. squished together and having your dick bitten off and all kinds of fantastic stuff and it's yeah it's it's this really horrible sex like horror the, fantasy it's like they're trying to bring about slanesh huh? huh it's yes it's it's very warhammer uh, gregory has unfortunately fallen very deep into the, the uh, 40k so <laughs> uh, I don't have any of the figures and I won't probably ever play a game but uh, yeah. I have read a lot of the books at this point I guess if we did a follow up episode a year later we could talk about your inspirations we find out all the Space Marine related stuff you've written oh on the internet oh my interim. god I just I want to write about Space Marine so bad anyway we'll... <laughs> it's not a bad uh, segue they... into Corbinek but <laughs> yeah um, um, there, there so, actually okay. are Space Marines but the beauty yeah. of Operation Galahad is all of this weird horrible gross stuff but also lines of dialogue like Jesus fuck fire kangaroo. <laughs> Dave you fool is, and this is no stretch, easily one of the best authors on the wiki. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I kind of think underrated. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I really, I didn't remember how the articles were rated, but a lot of these articles are like just at a hundred. And yeah. You know, and not to say that I, that numbers matter, they don't matter, but it just tells me that, like, you mean only 110 people have read this article? <laughs> that's a crime. Like, yeah, because I, I think I, it's, you know, oh, you know, can't, not accounting for any downvotes or anything, but that's horrible. Like, everyone who's listening to this, please go read, like, everything you can on the Three Minutes Initiative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 one thing to say, like, my my votes matter, and I'm pissed off about, but no, I think it's perfectly fine to be pissed off about Dave U. Fool's votes. They're too yeah. low. Come on. <laughs> it's like, insane. are you writing humor? Are you writing humor on the wiki? Why aren't you reading Corbinic? Are you writing esoteric horror? Are you writing weird world building? Are you writing science fiction? Why haven't you read the Three Moons Initiative stuff? It's incredible. Yeah, it is all, it's everything. I think it literally sums up everything that I love about the wiki. Yes. In one, in one place. Like, on the one hand, you will go from one second seeing something truly heinous cosmic horror to some of the funniest lines you like and 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 people and real people that are stuck in the situation that they are going what the fuck is happening yeah it's beautiful so the next article we're gonna talk that's about been is, an hour you want to take that break oh do you want yeah let's take a break
So we're back from break. So we're going to go through a lot of these articles, but we're going to go through them fairly quickly, not quite as in-depth, because we want you to go read them. Very <laughs> much so. There are some very, very cool and weird things in them that I definitely want to talk about. Uh, so this one is actually, you know, it's labeled on the hub. It's the first one on the list, which I think is really funny because it implies that the foundation was like not aware of the Three Moons Initiative. And it might have been, I forget the date, you know, the way it's set up. It might be actually predating, like the article might have been written afterwards, but this was a foundation that didn't know about the Three Moons, which is very funny. Yes. Oh, two, five, seven, eight. And this is the horseshoe crab drone that uh, was mentioned earlier. The Comprocs are really funny and should be read. But the thing I want to point out from them is that essentially what's happening is that people are getting killed and the Foundation is covering it up by setting up scapegoats, usually D-class, but not always, uh, to take the fall for the assassination. Yes. There is such a thing as an impaler event. Yes. And what happens when there's an impaler event is a target, usually somebody who is a dictator or war criminal, has you know human rights violations in a position of power, and the email is essentially a warning in very simple language explaining that they either need to fix it or, you know, they're going to get what's coming to them. And it has a countdown. And then they start getting repeats of the emails, but with a consistently like lower countdown. And if they, by the time the countdown reaches zero, have not, you know, abdicated or done something to atone for their crimes, uh, then they have a borehole punched from the top of their head to their groins uh there's no there's no projectile involved there is no damage to the surrounding property or people around them uh and it has happened like that for almost every single person except for one who got shot through the chest because right beforehand he decided to put his child up on his shoulders and it's it's implied because he was acting kind of strangely before it happened that he was hoping the kid would take the bullet and knew it was coming. <laughs> or that it, holding the child would stop them from doing it. Uh, there's there's and, that too, but these are all horrible monsters, so I like to right. imagine. Yeah, that's true. But instead they just shot him. Through. Instead they shot him through the chest. <laughs> they are moral in their own way. And it turns out that these, you know, I, I want to say bullets, but they're not bullets, uh, are fired from this uh, unmanned drone that comes out of a portal on the dark side of the moon, which is regularly in orbit around the Earth, and will go as low as, I think, 4,000 uh, meters uh, above the surface of the Earth, but never lower than that, or typically not lower than that. Yeah, it mostly st uh, stays in space, but sometimes comes into the atmosphere. So it's firing whatever kind of gun this is, and they don't understand it, from orbit, and they are firing a perfect hole through, you know, the top of someone's head down to their groin. <laughs> Yeah, any unrepentant dictator or war criminal who won't right. won't stop, they because, punch a hole in them. And it's not just if they stop doing what they're doing, they can avoid it by <laughs> surrendering to the international courts, by abdicating their authority, and or committing suicide. Right, you don't get shot a hole if, if you're already dead. Uh, which I thought was funny to include that, because if they hadn't included that, does that mean that if they died naturally that they still would shoot the courts? <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny idea. Uh, but the drone has... Uh, they have gotten pictures of it, and it looks like a giant horseshoe crab. Uh, and it has 
a cre- three crescent moons stamped on the side. And at, there's no other descriptions that say if this is clearly part of the three moons initiative, which is why I think it's written from a perspective of a foundation that like does not uh, is not aware. Yeah, a lot of the early articles also play coy about it, and I don't know if it's because right. the GOI isn't established yet and he felt a little uncertain, or if it was just for the joy of discovering that it was a Three Moons article partway through. I, yeah, I mean, I really like that. There's the one about the what I didn't put on the list, but there's the one about the the dog movie that always changes <laughs> based on what people one and it so ends. <laughs> it ends with like you know an end of the world scenario for Corbinick. It's just that one's great. That was amazing. Um. And so the foundation sends and e- finds out that there is an ability to send the email to the horseshoe crab because it is sending emails and it can also receive them. So it sends them, <laughs> uh, you know, all these questions: uh, what's going on, why are you doing this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the horseshoe crab sends something back, saying, "Very interesting. With regrets, I must ignore these irrelevant questions completely. And thank you immensely for the indirect access to your database, which is very informative about the impasse I have reached in North Korea." For a while, it felt as if I was talking to a, a wall in the back and forth with Kim Jong-un, but a bronze steely is close enough. It seems more direct approach is needed for liberation. With love, Triple Crescent Symbol. And right afterwards, the horseshoe crab comes out of orbit, sinks down into North Korean airspace, and attacks SCP-1427, which is like a statue of King Jong-un that's alive, right? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the details of it precisely, but yeah, this is what's interfering with its uh, attempts to contact right. them and send it's, the emails. It, it also like takes, you know, takes over people's minds in the surrounding area, uh, and it's in containment. But when the horseshoe crab uh, drone, the SCP-2578, comes down, it breaks containment because it's trying to get this thing, and allowing it to take control of a bunch of people's minds within the facility. Breaks the statue in half, takes it up into orbit, and then throws it into the sun. <laughs> and sends back an email saying that, you know, I'm sorry, they this this fate was better than if uh, the, the statue had actually, you know, like been able to control them forever. So at least there's that. And ends the email with, I have sustained heavy external damage from expending this much energy in a short period of time. So if any tyrants come up with while I'm in auto repair for the next week, I'm afraid they'll have to wait a little bit longer. This is the other thing that I just adore about Davy Fool articles is this is somebody who understands my love of ending on a one-liner. I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show, but it's something that we authors talk about a lot, that there's this trope of ending something on uh, a note from the administrator or a note from yeah. a researcher or something. And, you know, I, I've done it. it. It does work sometimes that if you are establishing something and then there's a twist at the end, it can work for horror, it can work for comedy. And this completely uses the trope but is also subverting it because it's almost always a note from the three moves initiative that recontextualizes everything and this one kind of sets up that process in the articles yes and the notes are often far and away the best thing about it and in fact i that stuck with me so much that when i used corbinick in 6500 i made sure to have a hilarious corbinick note in it and if you watch the um exploring series videos on 6500 Almost all the comments on that video are how much they like that note, and they didn't think anything of, of the other twelve thousand words I wrote in that part of the story. The, the note was everybody's your, because your note Dave Fool's notes are inspirational. So a lot of these articles include a motto from the Three Moons Initiative uh, that you are watched, you are loved, you are protected, or 
you are loved, you are protected, you are watched. Anyway. Uh, we were right the first time. And and you ended it slightly differently. Yeah, it was, uh, you are watched, you are loved, you are in deep shit, my son. <laughs> Which, in my opinion, fits perfectly well with the tone of just in-universe, like, how they respond to everything. So you, you like uh, the next one, which is SCP-3319. Why don't, why don't you kind of describe that one? We actually got it in the wrong order. It was watched, protected, loved. I feel bad now. We ruined the bit. Uh, we well, it. that's fine. Yeah. We'll not fix it in post. <laughs> Mostly watched. So 3319 is is a, just a beautiful article. And it's, it's beautiful for the implications. They're really scary and weird. But it's more beautiful for the ending because the ending is possibly my favorite thing on the wiki. My favorite one-liner ending. It's incredible. Um, so it's about an object that they find buried in the soil that turns out is for teleporting a planet to Corbinic. And it's got two moons on it. You know, the two moons initiative. <laughs> because we realize as we're reading, if we've been reading along, this is one of the Earths that got teleported. In fact, this is the last Earth that got teleported. Right. The one that made it the three moons initiative. Um, and it's an apocalyptic story of how that Earth ended up getting teleported to Corbinic as everything went wrong, making the two moons initiative the three moons initiative. And it ends, as all good cycle well, stories do. Before, before you read the last note. Yeah, yeah. So... It's a like a pill-shaped object. Uh, it's white. It's like impossible to damage. And at the beginning, it says that not there is no possible editing to this article. Uh, and then they show all these different iterations where over decades, the foundation thinks at first, okay, well, anything that gets within 500 meters or 500 feet, whatever, uh, yeah. disappears. And, you know, it's implied goes to Corbinic, but you don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, yeah. It's just everything disappears around it. And then suddenly they think, ah, it's actually been neutralized because uh, now things aren't disappearing. And then finally, during, you know, far in the future, during some Z-class, end-of-the-world-class scenario, the object flights into space uh, and then uh, teleports the planet. And the way that you are cued in that this is then them floating around Corbinic is that people, like somebody took like a cyanide pill and just ended up vomiting blood. Somebody else uh, tried to slit their wrists and then watched it as they healed. That was, okay, since, since you had to correct me for not giving the article full credit, I have to get you now. No, the guy slit his wrists and his office filled with blood oh, so that right. he, couldn't type, he couldn't type properly on his keyboard, and everybody thought he was joking. <laughs> oh, right, and somebody responds to him as like, this isn't the time for your joke. He's just like, keyboard covered in blood. <laughs> and then the article ends with the final iteration, which is actually our foundation finding the same mm -hmm. object. And... What? Yes, because we've got we've got one copy, and it's now Three Moons Initiative, and it's the implication is you know if the shit hits the fan, we'll be the fourth moon, right? And the Three Moons Initiative also has a message for the Foundation, and the message is, as I said, one of my favorite pieces of literature on the wiki. The note is Foundation. They always address them as Foundation. Foundation, for the gods' sake, we do want to keep humanity safe. Ever since we escaped on that first moon, that's been our goal. But let's be honest, humanity keeps repeating the same mistakes that got us here in the first place. Do your job, because if you don't, we'll do it for you. And we have no idea 
what the fuck we're doing. Because <laughs> 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 it starts off in that very self-serious ending yes. note trope of like, this is important. Humanity must be protected. You're going to die. And then and we have no just... idea what the fuck. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's that sense of contrast, that perfect sense of where to contrast the tone that, that characterizes what Davey Fool writes. And the next one is just as much the same, only for once it does not involve serious violence. Uh, <laughs> it's although a very it does involve the implication of it. Um, so yes. Yes. what happens is there's a ritual and, and the article, and this is three, seven, six, eight, and the article mm -hmm. describes what you need to do the ritual. And it's like colloidal silver and like purified salt. I, I'm getting the details wrong, but the point is it's set up to be like a weird magic ritual. And if you do <laughs> it around a radio station, then the radio station will start broadcasting radio from the Three Moons Initiative. And <laughs> I love this, the way he does this with the Confrox, where it, it's almost like a callback um, to the first one, where the Confrox are this crazy thing, but it's for something completely unrelated <laughs> and crazier. Yeah, so like this one establishes that this is a ritual you can use to hear broadcast from the afterlife. And right. immediately, the details of the anomaly are not important because what matters is the messages that are being sent, which is a trick I yeah, like to use in Victim all the time. He takes something that would be somebody else's whole article <laughs> yeah. and he uses it as his excuse to do something better. It's like showing off in the most brilliant way possible. I mean, and you know, I don't know if it was conscious or not, but I feel like I kind of lifted this through Victim stuff because so often I set up something to be a cursed media you know cursed dvd or vhs and then immediately it's not important what yep. what the curse is because that doesn't matter as much as the content matters it's a delivery system so this is a news broadcast that is being hosted by julie niang and it's sort of like is this a relation to the president uh it's unclear uh but it also boasts of the fact that she has been at her station doing broadcasts for like the last 300 years or something uh <laughs> and there's a lot of snippets and i'm not going to read them all because they're very funny and you should and it does some really excellent world building at the same time as being funny but the yes. best part of it is towards the end where there's a broadcast where Julie Niang says, to no one's surprise, the Central Cabal's unanimous passing of the mandatory Pan-Corbanese Human Sterilization Act, or, and then they give an acronym, has been causing controversy among the colonies, resulting in demonstrations across the lunar capital. Opponents, including the Child of Heaven Coalition, claim that the right to responsibly conceive children is inalienable. President Niang, who is expected to sign into law on Tuesday, released the following statement. The world we live in now was meant to be the logical conclusion of our lives on Earth. To create new life here would be to create mortal life. When this happens, and it has happened all too often, the polarity of death is reversed, and the departed mortal leaves to live forever in Korbanek's so-called sister universe. The tricky bit of this, of course, is that our world is designed for immortals, and theirs isn't. <laughs> there are two inevitable results. A guaranteed living nightmare drifting off into deep space, or in the custody of the Foundation, as with several extant case studies, or the presence of an unkillable human being on Earth with all the potential violence it would entail. <laughs> and then Julie steps back in. In addition, the Three Moons press secretary, Lyndon B. Johnson, <laughs> has insisted that the sterilization measures, measures are painless, non-invasive, 
And finally, some good news about this will not affect libido. And that really does matter to the Corbinese, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think it would matter to everybody. <laughs> it would matter to everybody, but they get a, they get busy quite frequently. But it does, right? But it does make sense that you know this is the afterlife in which we all get to exist forever and we have a society and like yo we can't keep having babies there's like already billions of us yes Uh, in fact in a later article they do accidentally uh kill some horrible gigantic immortal no it's this one is it in this yeah so so the next bit is that oh my goodness the witch queen of bogle mountain has died of liver failure which is surprising because we thought she was immortal but that means she's going to show up on Earth. And so it ends with a hilarious warning from the Three Moons Initiative sent directly to the Foundation, probably through the Horseshoe Crab drone, that, oh, well, it's it, she's probably appeared somewhere around uh, Jupiter. And if you guys work on it now, you could probably stop her from landing on Earth. But that's where she's heading. And it ends <laughs> with this bit, which... And if she does cause your extension, well... When you get to the great mead hall of Sarko- Saklovi, drinks are on us. You are watched, you are protected, and win or lose, you are loved. <laughs> I love when they start introducing the variations. It's beautiful. <laughs> I just yeah, that one gets gets picked up on with a tale later where they go to find another horrifying beast to send into space to fight her. But it's 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 all just part of this, this horrible, horrible, horrible. It's horrible. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, and that one's so much fun because just first of all you know it's all for this joke and for the implication that this horrible thing is flying towards earth but it also sets up this really interesting world building where it's like well listen guys this is a existing society in which people you know like to fuck like they do everywhere and we cannot keep having babies and so he does this brilliant thing of like all these rich world building that are just like these throwaway lines uh, because they're not yep. the point of an article. The point of the article is to make you laugh or creep you out. Yes. Uh, and then, but also, I feel like Corbinick is a real place. Like it feels like a real setting. Yeah. yeah, he casually builds the world <laughs> in the background while he's doing the other impressive things. It's incredible. There's a few articles. Um, there's at least one article where he gives a profile on a section of Corbinick. There's two of them that I know of that are by Davy Fool and one that isn't. And they're all great because they have all of these world-building details that are still just a delivery system for being clever and crazy and scary (laughs) and funny, but they make the whole thing crazier and more believable. This starts out being a weird desert with big monkeys in it. That's the first thing you read. And then it just goes nuts at a crazy, crazy pace after that. (laughs) No, I'm just, I want to queue up. I'm just queuing up the next one so (laughs) I can actually read stuff directly from it because it's just too good to just summarize. Uh, So... Three. This one's one of the more popular ones. And in fact, it's, it's got one of the longest collab logs on the wiki. Oh, it's just incredible. I, you know, and and that's why I don't feel bad because the collab logs are so good, and we're not going to read any of those. But yes. uh, SCP three nine two two, and I'm just going to read some oh. of the description because it's just great. When placed within one meter of a television set or a computer, the anomaly will significantly alter the content of any fictional films, TV shows, online videos, or commercials, usually through the addition of actors in padded combat uniforms and gas masks. These additional elements, classified as Dash A, will impede and or punish any and all crimes, as perceived by Dash A instances, committed by the cast. (laughs) The severity of this punishment is always reflective of the MPAA or FCC rating of the video. 
the instances. So they invade media to police it. <laughs> right. And the fictional world of it. So these dash instances are capable of appearing in live action and animated works, often taking on the particular animation style of the latter. However, regardless of the time period portrayed in the video, these instances are always in possession of high-powered energy-based weaponry, vehicles capable of interstellar flight, combat drones, and other futuristic elements, all of which bear the same triple moon insignia. At the end of every video, an altered end title card will play in the place of any end credits, including the triple moon symbol, as well as the slogan, you are watched, you are protected, you are loved. <laughs> and, and then there's the table to end all tables. Right. And, you know, he, it, there is a collaborative log where you can click through at the end of the article and see just a whole bunch of people have added um, brilliant examples. But here are a few that he included in the article itself. Pinocchio, 1940. The interference point is the Pleasure Island sequence shortly before the reveal of the boys have turned into donkeys. Result. Several Dash A squadrons raid Pleasure Island from dropships, reconstituting the children's humanity with a sound-based device labeled Tactical Undonkification Ordinance. <laughs> and the coach That gets me every time. It's so good. And the coachman is instantly vaporized after a heavy energy rifle bombardment. So they shot this dude so many times he vaporized. The film ends 10 minutes later after Lampwick is taken to a substance abuse rehabilitation center. The other villains of the film are arrested in a montage. Monster the whale is disintegrated by an orbital energy weapon. The blue fairy is arrested for unlicensed reanimation of plant tissue. And Pinocchio is informed by a tactical child psychiatry, psychiatry associate that real boyhood is subjective. <laughs> That, that the first one is the best one it is just so good all the way through oh uh, god it's just so fucking funny but they're so funny I, i'm not gonna read them all i just want to read the last one can i do one yeah oh, yeah yeah. Can I, oh. which one are you gonna read <laughs> I, I was gonna do the last oh yeah one. the go, last one's do it. my second favorite he he knows how to bookend his shit man that's dave you feel knows how to start and end well um just like pornography should this one's about pornography all 12 inches, three exclamation points, 1999. This one's not rated because it's pornography. And right from the beginning, the intervention begins. Video proceeds as normal, save for the seven Dash A instances who stand guard to ensure that any sex remains consensual. Said Dash A instances are equipped with rocket launchers. <laughs> Just... Idea. I mean, do, that would do it. I mean, I mean, there's nothing sexier than being surrounded by soldiers with rocket launchers. But it will absolutely ensure that it all remains above board. But, you know, and we've only read two. He's included three others, and there's a whole other log. Uh, there's a really extended one for one of the ones in, in the article. I really suggest you read it, because it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen. And this one's very popular. Like you said, it's in the 500s, but still, I, I just... I. It should be it should be the most popular article on the record. <laughs> yeah, I every article. This one's at 564 as I look at it right now. Assuming the Wikidot rating is exactly correct, which usually it isn't because Wikidot is dying. But yeah, 564 is is still way too low. It's way too low. <laughs> and you know, internet points don't matter. But I just think more people should read this article. <laughs> I want Dave, you fool, to get more internet points. Uh, so there's some other articles, um, one of which is the Jim Henson one, which we mentioned a couple times, which I'm not going to describe that much of it. Oh. It's SCP-4922. But basically what it is, is about a series of uh, remote-controlled 
animate drones that all look like Muppets, except for they are equipped with, like, some of the most heinous weaponry imaginable, like, you know, Gatling guns and laser rifles and, like, disintegration rays. Um, and during, they have an interview with one of them, and the doctor says, can I talk to somebody who's in charge? And they said, sure, just hold on a second. And they transfer it to Colonel James Henson of the you know three moves initiative etc etc assassination force or something and he went wait the doctor goes wait jim hansen Ugh, i hate that that's like your hippie version of me i'm james <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that this is jim hansen from another universe who got captured by the witch queen of borgo mountain and was digested and got shit out and then got told to come back when he had some seasoning and he did not deal well with this and has become a um, essentially a psychotic murderer who just targets people on the basis of, you know, he kills killers with Muppet yeah. drones. Yes. <laughs> and as he's, we, we kind of swelled it earlier, but as he's talking to the doctor, the doctor asks about, you know, what the capabilities are or something about their facility or offers him a job. I can't even remember what it is. And Jim just says, hold on, I'll give you a tour and then explodes killing the doctor because obviously he will then be transported to Corvidic and then Jim Henson could give him the tour. <laughs> but just the idea that there's an alternate universe, Jim Henson, who is an immortal killer who still makes Muppets, except for the Muppets are killer robots, is just incredible. technical difficulties uh-huh. uh gregory but... turned into a weird alien it was cool <laughs> yeah I, I wonder i can't wait to hear your side of it actually it sounded like Perfect. i don't know what you were doing i think you might have been imitating chewbacca <laughs> i mean he is pretty great so yeah well anyway um so jim henson murders people <laughs> anyway <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, and also in SCP. That's right. Uh, so there's another SCP that I'm just, I don't even want to, I just think people should go and read, which is SCP-5298. Yeah, which beautiful. are inhuman drones that are shaped like children that are set up with fake families, like cover families, as if they're a deep cover agent. And then they have a specific mission, and I think people should just read it. You do need to read it. You need to see what the mission is, and you need to see what kinds of uh, fake children these are. It's, it's, it's inspired. The, my absolute favorite part of it, without giving away anything, is that the parents have clearly been in the situation for a while, the parents in quotes, uh, and are like, you know, what are you doing in there? You know, even though they're fake parents. It's the funniest. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a great article. It's another case where one anomaly is just not enough for him <laughs> he introduces it with this one thing and it's like here's the thing that's weird and then just incidentally there's another whole other weird thing going on he does that so well it's just so incredible um and the last one we want to talk about uh unless you've got any others you want to talk about uh is scp 5319 
which is essentially a music composition. There's two parts of it. There's the instrumentals, and there's the first, what they understand to be the first lines of the national anthem of uh, the Three Modes Initiative. And here's a bit from the description. When, when the SCP is exposed in any form to an orangutan, the assassins will burst into flames. The fire is only capable of being extinguished once <laughs> the song ends. So you can't even put out the fire. So someone somehow got this to a guy who uh, used it on the zoo. Used it at the zoo. He worked at the zoo and he used it to kill the orangutans. And then uh, he was killed by the horseshoe crab. The email is found on his computer, uh, which he couldn't have possibly gotten because he was found dead. Uh, or probably. Uh, it, ha it has come to our attention that you have used Homo sapiens invictus as a means to murder the orangutans of your admittedly unpleasant employer. Animal, animal cruelty is bad enough, but unauthorized use of our intellectual property is an immediately actionable offense. As such, you will be summoned to Lunar Major for a preliminary disciplinary hearing in 30 minutes. Thank you for your cooperation. And then he's murdered by them so that he can show up for court. They're very good. Their summons work 100%. And the foundation the decides to send an email to the horseshoe crab asking, well, why does this happen? Why, when you play the song, why does it uh, ignite orangutans? And they played a little bit of the language, the orangutans reaction to it, because they tested, of course, who the foundations are monsters. Uh, and Dr. Goldthwaite only stated that SCP-5319 has confidential defensive characteristics. And Dr. Goldthwaite is the person who sent the right. previous email as well. And so that, in my opinion, because they say they're not sure why you're so interested in the Strider language, but it's kind of disturbing. So that, that basically tells you the Striders are giant orangutans. Yes, and in, in fact, when they test, when the Foundation tests it on an orangutan, the orangutan makes a lot of horrified vocalizations right. and they send that to Korobinik and Korobinik responds going, I don't know how you found Strider language, but it basically translates to, there's been a misunderstanding. <laughs> I'm not what you think. I so the orangutan knows that they think it's a Strider and they're trying to light it on fire with a song. So, I mean, we've only covered like, I mean, we covered a lot of articles, but very quickly because I really don't want to give everything away. And even the ones where they end on a one-liner that isn't even everything to offer from these articles they are just chock full of weird details and hilarious anecdotes um, the one with the radio broadcast has like four or five other snippets that are just terrific world building but also utterly ridiculous if you're somewhat aware of what Corbinick is absolutely there there's all the, the tales the scps there is really no way to go wrong with any of this stuff you pick any of them and they will astonish uh, you. And uh, I think it's important to mention that uh, Davey Fool is a recent published author. Uh, he has two books yes. out. I have only read, I haven't finished the first one, but I haven't touched the second one. But it's about. Oh, that's an excellent endorsement. Well done. Well, I just have been <laughs> busy. I don't know. I'm terrible. But <laughs> I will say that it is hilarious. And essentially, the premise is you know, he could probably describe it better, but. Essentially, the premise is that this is a fantasy world that exists on the basis of the rules of a tabletop RPG. Yes. So if you are a sword fighter, you have to level up your ability to be a sword fighter. Uh, and that's just the basic premise. I'm not giving anything away about the story itself. But it is chock full of the same thing, where it is just utterly ridiculous. 
uh, and hilarious, and yet really subtle and brilliant world building, like from the get go. Like in the first chapter, there's a fight, and the fight is described in the same way if you've ever played D and D between two characters two player characters fighting like rolling dice only they don't actually roll dice right. uh, it's fucking terrific we're all, we'll always try to point that kind of thing out because a few of our oh, yeah. our better authors have, have become writers and uh, in a commercial sense and they deserve your patronage because they've given so much great stuff for free yes and and also because we want whatever God smiled on them to smile on them, so that can also be published. <laughs> yes, that's that's the which those are the inside words, Gregory. You're not supposed to say them outside. I, I you know, I, who writes just for? I mean, call us people on the wiki. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, I have 107 articles. Come on. <laughs> so. Uh, it, you, you mentioned on break that there might be a, a correction. Yeah, we're, we've got something our, we talked about. We have our first errata. Um, <laughs> we talked about third law at the end of our discussion um, last, whenever, last time period. Literally um, a week ago. <laughs> it was a week ago. All right, cool. Um, time is meaningless. We float in an existential horror space. Mm, but anyway, um, Green Wolf, the founder of the third law canon. Um, felt it was necessary and i agree wholeheartedly to ask for a um, elucidation of who actually founded the canon and who later contributed to it because the way we chose to handle it was to go i think it was and then list the people whose names came into our head which um, didn't give full credit to all of the people who have helped green wolf and who have written their own series within third law and who were originally there and so uh, because we undercharacterized the team behind it um, i'm now going to Overcharacterized the team <laughs> behind Third Law. The original four authors were Green Wolf, A Random Day, Ty Gently, and Sir Pudding. And they were later joined by Taffeta, Jacob Conwell, Chewbacca, Nat Voltaic, Stonefish, uh, The Great Hippo, Chaosera, Anorak, Tawny, their editor, and Crashington, who was the illustrator for the tale series I pointed you towards last time, the Phoenix, the Nightingale, and the Magpies. So. Which I have since read entirely. <laughs> and Green Wolf, if you're listening to this, I need more Florence, okay? <laughs> She's amazing, and I need more of her. Well, actually, on that note, Green Wolf has new UIU tales that are out in uh, Third Law that are available right now on the wiki. Anorak also has a new article out. And yeah. uh, the Third Law stories that are in pnm continue elsewhere and there's always new content uh, at a very high quality being produced for the canon so get out there and read new stuff when we get to canons that is definitely one we'll go into much bigger detail in, in my defense uh when i was writing uh the outline for the last one uh you know we were very focused on goc and i just kind of was focused on those yeah. articles that i read and looked at and the authors so you know we apologize for anybody we forgot obviously so yeah this is what happens when you credit when you extemporaneously expound, you start going on <laughs> tangents that you have not properly researched. And yeah. so that's why we were both like, uh, I think it was. <laughs> right. But so, yes, all of know, these authors it, are excellent. So, and, and any time that that happens, you know, we'll want to, we'll do a correction. But for the most part, uh, I do like to cite who is actually writing the article in, in the outline. But Yeah, because the general invisibility of authors is kind of a problem. We want to give these people the credit for the work that they did because the work that they do is incredible, just as we've been saying Dave, you fool, over and over again for the past hour right. and a half. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in general, something that I would like to, you know, preach, you know, out into the ether of the offside fans who, you know, clearly love this stuff and really appreciate it. You know, nothing, none of this stuff, none of the TikTok or YouTube videos or video games would exist without the wiki, and none of that would exist without the authors. So, you know, I'm not saying it's more important. I don't think that. Uh, but I do think that we should do everything in our power to, like, give credit where credit's due, especially when people like Green Wolf and The Random Day and, you know, Quantum and many others, including yourself and myself, have sacrificed literally hundreds of hours to write things for free yeah i mean it's 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 all free stuff that's out there for building on for reading and uh it's it's always nice to drop people a line and it's always nice to uh point other readers towards these people so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what we've just been doing this whole time was telling well people. that's the entire point of the podcast in my opinion well one of oh, them anyway. there's a point yeah. to this well oh kind of. man <laughs> i don't want to be a part of this anymore <laughs> But I mean, from the very first time, I've you know said over and over again that I want to curate, you know, and I think that, like I said earlier on in one of the earlier shows, you know, it's very intimidating to see this, you know, thing of fourteen thousand articles of different shapes and sizes. Where do I start? Well, yeah. you know, if you find this interesting, here's some articles to read, and then from there you can expand. Yeah. What is actually the number of the dog SCP? If people are interested in Davy Fool, we should give them the oh, dog. I SCP. don't know. <laughs> I'll quietly type that into the uh, into Google while we continue to. Okay. While you read uh, some email. <laughs> so we got an email from Guare, uh, who sent an email. I think almost every time, which is excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and they say, first of all, I would like to say that this podcast is quickly becoming one of my favorites. Thank you. Uh, that is very appreciated. I also would like to say to Gregory that I've been reading some of his articles and really liking them. I wouldn't have read that if I'd read those at a time. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I don't like blowing up my own shit, but thank you. That's very sweet. Um, and I do very much appreciate the engagement. Uh, but now for the actual comment, which is actually in the email. I'm yes. so excited for the next episode to be about the Three Moves Initiative. They quickly became one of my favorite GOIs after discovering them. And I always was disappointed that more people didn't do more with them. Also probably amongst the least known offsite. And that, then, so that likely has something to do with it. I hope you like it too. After the research, because for me, it alongside Corbinic is one of the most creative and interesting parts of the wiki. Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't even have to do research. We just read all this shit again yeah, because every we one of had because because <laughs> there's so much fun. I read them all when I wrote for 6500, and then I read them all again yesterday. Yeah, um, and I'll I do it know, again. I think I, I don't know if you'd already decided, but I remember when you were talking about writing, you know, I need some place. And I was like, oh, you got to go to Corbinick. And I know because yeah. the first part of 6500, you had like gone to so many places that it got kind of trimmed. And then so brilliantly, we decided to write a whole nother half a novel. Uh, you were like, well, I guess I know where I'm going. Yeah, I had already plugged in the story seed for Corbinick, but it, there was just no room because I had already yeah. written 10,000 words. I was like, yeah. well, I can't just... You can't just briefly go to Corbinic. That, that would be just an <laughs> <No>. offensive. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us. The um, dog SCP. We'll just oh, I'll, yeah. I just throw this one here because I got it up quietly while while you were uh, talking. That sounded mm -hmm. wrong. Um, but anyway, it's SCP four five eight seven. This is one we haven't spoiled at all, but it's incredibly premium debut fool. So. SCP so, four five eight seven. It's hilarious. We're sort of spoiling it because it eventually becomes part of the Three Moves Initiative. But at the beginning, it seems to have 
no connection whatsoever, but just just stick with it. 4587. It's it's it's, it's rated at plus 132, which is honestly a crime against humanity. So go read it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's some of my favorite crap. writing. It's so good. It does. Uh yeah, it's so fun. I love that one. So good. All right, so our email is simplycreativepeople at gmail.com, all spelled out. Uh, my Twitter is at G-R-I-G-O-R-I-K-A-R-P-I-N. The show's Twitter is a- at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Mine is mm-hmm. at Harry Blank, S-C-P. And I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, next week, we are 100% going to do fifthism uh, and... I don't understand fifthism, so it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I really like what I've read, but I don't know if you are ever meant to understand it, so that'll be really good. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, well then, uh, we will see you next time. You are watched, you are protected, you are loved. You're shit out of luck, son. (laughs) 